This is Middle East Forum Century Radio on WWDB 860 AM here in Philadelphia, broadcasting live from the main line. A solemn occasion today on Wednesday, October 31st. We are five days after the Tree of Life, its Chaim or Lesimcha shootings that took place on Saturday morning, a Sabbath that will be one to remember due to the violence and to the tragedy that took place over an hour. Robert Bowers, an anti-Semite in all rights of the definition, goes into a synagogue at 9 a.m., greets two individuals with an AR-15 assault rifle and six Glocks. He comes out an hour later with a police escort after 11 were slaughtered by his hand. Four police officers still in the hospital having been injured and a few more congregants also in surgery or currently in hospital. I lived and worked in the Pittsburgh Jewish community from October of 2012 until August of 2015. I was the Jewish Community Relations Council professional there, having dealing with a portfolio that extended from interfaith relations, the U.S.-Israel relationship, domestic policy issues, but also community security. The relationship between the U.S. Attorney, the Pittsburgh Police, the FBI, the Pittsburgh District Attorney's Office, Allegheny County Public Safety, was second to none with its Jewish community that it was responsible for protecting. And this was not a case that any one individual could have foreseen on this Sabbath morning. Due to the tight relationship between the synagogues, between the Jewish community, and the Pittsburgh police and also federal authorities, this incident could have been much worse. But there is no doubt that this was the worst anti-Semitic attack in U.S. American history. Now... We talk about the Middle East on this program and also its discontents, whether it be problems emanating in Europe, Latin America, Asia, or the Middle East itself. Anti-Semitism has reared its ugly, violent head again in the form of Mr. Robert Bowers, who now faces the death penalty in a slew of 25 different federal charges being brought against him in U.S. federal court in the District of Western Pennsylvania. But once again, how does this relate to the Middle East? This was not the first, nor unfortunately will be the last, attack against a community of faith by an individual influenced by the very same disgusting content and vile rhetoric that emanates, whether it be out of neo-Nazi outlets, white supremacist outlets, or, in other cases, Middle Eastern media outlets. When I read what he was saying and listening to the police scanner, on Saturday morning, as soon as I heard about the attack taking place, you could hear the police officers reiterating what the attacker, the murderer, the genocidal maniac terrorist Robert Bowers was saying over the police radio. Some quotes included, kill all the Jews. All the Jews have to die. There is no make America great as long as there is a insert Jewish explicative infestation. He then goes on to attack Jewish nonprofit organizations. He speaks in his social media about invaders being brought to kill his people. His last words on social media before he commiserates the attack, screw your optics, I'm going in. But then I go and I think about 
some of the other rhetoric which is being used by the state-sponsored media outlets of so-called American allies. I point you to an article on Al Jazeera from February 8th, 2017. One point in the subject that's labeled 11 officials of Jewish origin surround Trump goes as follows. The encyclopedia on Al Jazeera's website quotes former Israeli David Ben-Gurion, although I want every American Jew to come to Israel, I will not blame any one of them there who choose to stay in the United States. And then fabricates the implication that his concern was to keep them loyal and supportive of Israel. Before listing the 11 officials, the article mentions on Al Jazeera, on the state-sponsored outlet of Qatari television, someone, a state that's trying to get close to this country. They published only a year ago. The thorn of Jews loyal to Israel has grown stronger, occupying prominent positions in the political and economic circles that govern U.S. domestic and foreign policy. Note that the phrase thorn of Jews is an explicitly anti-Semitic term in Muslim theology, closer in English to sting of the Jews or bite of the Jews, which is often used on religiously inspired denunciation of Israel, especially on white supremacist websites. Crucially, this encyclopedia entry includes this photo, which you'll be able to see. I can put the link on the website, which says the Jewish figures who support Trump support Israel in the settlements and moving the embassy to Jerusalem. The only people in the photo include Jared Kushner, a close advisor of the president and his son-in-law, and Chuck Schumer, the leader of the minority in the U.S. Senate, the Democratic Party. Most of the individuals cited as evidence of Jewish advisors surrounding Trump are minor officials and clearly cherry-picked. This is indistinguishable in substance from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion and quite similar to Robert Bauer's posts on the social media site Gab that he used to ramp up his criticism of the Jewish presence in the United States and call for more anti-Semitic rhetoric and his followers to repeat what he did in Pittsburgh. Moreover, beyond what's published on Al Jazeera's website with his vitriolic anti-Semitism, you can see what some of the guests on Al Jazeera television and their op-ed writers have said, criticizing Trump in crass, anti-Semitic terms, some even saying that the president is Jewish. A December 26, 2017 opinion piece titled, From Trump to Judas Iscariot, We Killed Christ, discusses Christian Zionism and its role in American history and American policy towards what was then mandatory Palestine, in light of moving the embassy to Jerusalem. The final paragraph in this piece is worth quoting in full. It writes, After all, since the betrayal of Judas of Christ thousands of years ago, and moving from John Adams to Harry Truman to Dwight Eisenhower to George W. Bush and ending with Donald Trump, influenced by the Zionist writings of Benjamin Netanyahu, who takes advisors who believe in Christian Zionism, Christ is still being slaughtered and crucified every day. His promises are betrayed. This is a quote from Al Jazeera. And his words are distorted. And in his name, Satan seeks to rule the world, and the Son of Mary is still walking the path of suffering, refusing that Jerusalem will be the capital of an aberrant group class that has refused and relished his pure and tormented blood. The op-ed claims, it's the end of the quote, the op-ed claims that the Jews, described in crude and blood-curdling anti-Semitic terms, have been controlling U.S. policy for centuries. It doesn't matter if you're an Islamist a far leftist, a far rightist. Even if you're just making remarks because you think you have an opinion that warrants acceptance in American society, 
anti-Semitic rhetoric has no place on American airwaves, on American media. And while you still may have the right to say it, individuals like me and the people who work at the Middle East Forum will have a full-throated rebuttal for whatever it is that you are trying to convey across these airwaves. Robert Bowers was not a needle in the haystack. He was a burning barn which continues to go as so long as the U.S. refuses to put out the fire of hate that is coming across the airwaves as associated with his ilk. And the U.S. should not just distance itself from neo-Nazis, from white supremacists, from the far left who treats Israel as a pariah state around the rest of the community of nations. It also has to distance itself from what it calls maybe sometimes Middle East allies, especially those who use anti-Semitic rhetoric over the airwaves, using the same kind of language that Robert Bowers used before he went into that synagogue and massacred the immortal 11 souls that consisted of the Tree of Life congregation. After these messages, Arsen Ostrovsky from the Israeli Jewish Congress. The intellectual backbone of American Middle East studies has provided a rationable excuse for individuals trying to promote an anti-American agenda. We see that those individuals who are in Islamic studies and American Middle East studies programs at some of the most major American universities find themselves justifying the behavior of America's enemies overseas and promoting domestic threats that harm us here at home. If you want to go and learn more about Campus Watch, the Reader's Digest of American Middle East Studies, check us out on Campus Watch at www.campus-watch.org. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. Welcome back to WWDB Talk Radio 860 AM Philadelphia. My next guest is someone that I have called a friend for the better part of the past decade originating in the Soviet Union, growing up in Australia, and making his way to Israel about 10 years ago. Mr. Arsen Ostrovsky is the president and executive director of the Israeli Jewish Congress, a leading international human rights lawyer, political analyst, and commentator, especially when it comes to a focus on Israel and the Middle East. Arsen has testified and spoken in support of Israel before the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva, also having done similar outreach in European capitals around the rest of that continent. And he's also considered an expert on the topics of anti-Semitism, BDS, digital diplomacy, international law, the United Nations, and Middle East foreign policy. Arsene, welcome to the program. It's good to be on with you, Greg. Thank you for that uh, very, very overly generous introduction, but I appreciate it. We uh, have to give credit where credit's due. 
let's get right into the uh, right into the subject matter. As you probably know, I uh, spent last week on Monday and Tuesday in Pittsburgh. Three days later, Robert Bowers walks into a synagogue and commits the greatest atrocity against the American Jewish diaspora community in its 400-year history. What's the reaction like in Israel? Um, look, you know, in uh, in Hebrew we have this uh, we have this phrase, "Call Israel Aravim Zelazer," which basically means that. Uh, that all Jews are responsible for one another. And that, I think, very much sort of describes the feeling here, that uh, the people of Israel uh, were grieving with the Jewish community of Pittsburgh and the United States, trying to sort of, in many ways, reinforcing that at the end of the day, you know, whether we're in Israel, United States, Europe, that we are Jews, uh, that we're part of this uh, faith, part of this people, part of this history and tradition and that our futures are so inextricably intertwined as one. Um, what Look, what happened in Pittsburgh, we all agree, it was just a truly heinous and evil act. And, you know, this this murderer, this evil man, he didn't ask uh, if the victims, if they voted Republican, if they voted Democrat, um, who they uh, who they support uh, for the midterm elections before opening, you know, hail of gunfire. He targeted them for one reason, and one reason only, that they were Jews. So I think we need to call out this uh, this hatred, this anti-Semitism, in all its forms, without any without any ifs, uh, buts, or maybes. Um, I must add, though, from my perspective, uh, what's been um, I think especially heartwarming, not only the reaction here in Israel, uh, people uniting uh, with our brothers and sisters in uh, in Pittsburgh and America, but also seeing in America how. Um, Members outside the Jewish community from different faiths have uh, have also come together to stand in solidarity and um, and support. So that's been, I think, quite touching as well. It's not as if though this attack happened in a vacuum. Paris, Tel Aviv, Toulouse, Mumbai, Brussels, Copenhagen, Jerusalem, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Seattle, and now Pittsburgh. What kind of factors do you think didn't just motivate Mr. Bowers, but what similar not sympathetic, uh, uh, um, you know, outreach happened in the rest of the Jewish community. But what apathetic behavior do you think he was expressing that's similar to these other vigilantes, not even vigilantes, these other murders that took place in other anti-Semitic attacks around the rest of the world, specifically in the Middle East? What do they have in common? Look, they have certain things in common, and at the same time, they have um, quite a number of things that are different. And not all, they're not, they don't all commit these uh, crimes, these acts, for the same reasons. Um, we've seen here in uh, Pittsburgh a guy who was, um, you know, neo-Nazi on the far right, and whichever way we want to categorize him. In parts of Europe, we've seen attacks come uh, from the far left, say in the UK, and in, say, France, Belgium, uh, from members of the Muslim community. So it really depends on the depends on you know where we're talking about and the sort of that really uh, underscores the reasons uh, for this uh, for this hatred but at the end of the day again whether they're coming from left right muslim christian or in between they're all united by this one uh, overriding i suppose mission goal in the pure hatred not just of the jewish people but often as we're seeing it expressed increasingly more so against the israel as the jew amongst the nations of the jewish state um, you know these anti-semitic acts where people sort of cower behind uh, their supposed expressions or disagreements with say zionism or israeli government policy but at the end of the day that really is in many ways just a facade or a charade um, 
behind which they sort of shield their own uh, hatred, which at the end of the day, whether that's in uh, Pittsburgh, in France, in uh, anywhere in Israel or elsewhere in Europe, at the end of the day, they hate us for one reason. They hate us because we're Jews. And this hatred that emanates from the, I think, modern lexicon of anti-Semitism draws on 3,000 years of hatred against the Jewish people. I mean, whether it be, you know, Amalek, which comes from the Bible itself, or from the Tanakh, the uh, Torah Navim and Ketuvim, the uh, ancient uh, Hebrew Old Testament, or the hatred of the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the early uh, um, Muslim dynasties that ruled in the Middle East, or then even further to the uh, Crusades, the Inquisitions, the reform under Luther, or other instances of modern anti-Semitism like the Holocaust, the pogroms, and others. What do you think is the factor that drives an individual to go from thinking of Jew hatred to committing violent acts of Jew hatred? Oh, there's uh, any, any number of reasons. We uh, we can look at our political leadership. We can look at the, uh, and by our, I mean, and not just in, in America, across Europe and elsewhere, we can look at the very... Uh, a toxic environment. We can look at the debates, so to speak, people are, are having, which are extremely vicious from uh, from different sides. Uh, we can look at, uh, you know, religious uh, leadership. Are they, um, you know, are they uh, being responsible, acting responsibly? Are they uh, are they motivating, uh, mobilizing this extremism, or are they holding it back and trying to? Um, trying to stop people um we we see social media now the advent of you know the 24-hour not just news cycle but the the hatred and incitement we see um, you know online on twitter on facebook on instagram you know we a couple of years two years ago i think it was we had a big wave of stabbings here in israel um for more or less about six uh, six months or so and at one point there was actually a um a uh, an image post that I, I forget which social media platform it was, but it was a poster of a human body with the captions of how best to kill an Israeli. Trying to sort of, uh, you know, inside this this violence, this hatred, uh, you know, telling people how, how to do it. So I think all these factors combined um, really, uh, you know, create a very sort of toxic cocktail, so to speak. Now, it wouldn't be so far to say that the same roots of hatred that motivated Bowers and that what he was able to see online in English on these, uh, you know, sort of far-right fringe social media platforms are the same kind of language and the same kind of rhetoric that Palestinian anti-Semites use or Islamist anti-Semites or the purveyors of anti-Semitism writing in Arabic. Is there cooperation between far-right elements and Islamist elements and far-left elements? One of the questions that we ask is, you know, these groups that often hate each other can agree on one thing, their anti-Semitism expressed towards the Jewish communities around where they live. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you're, you're spot on there. I don't know if there's any formal network, uh, you know, cooperation between them, but you do find that they stand side by side. You know, when you see people like uh, the Linda Sarsour of the world proclaiming to stand for human rights, yet at the same time uh, denouncing Zionism, denouncing, um, you know, Jewish uh, people, uh, you really have to, you know, you have to wonder really what, what's going on. When you see people now coming out and condemning this brutal, heinous, evil act in Pittsburgh, as they absolutely should, but you also have to 
you know, wonder and ask yourself, well, where were they a week ago when Louis Farrakhan called Jews termites? Where were all these self-proclaimed, you know, uh, human rights activists and uh, people of uh, goodwill? Why didn't they speak out then? So I think it also really underscores whether it's, you know, anti-Semitism is not a new invention. It's been a, it's, we call it the oldest hatred in the world. Um, and it's morphed and metamorphosized in many different uh, ways, shapes, or forms, uh, whether it's been hatred against Jews as a, as a religion, whether against Jews as a race, or today as Jews against our nation state as well, not only against us as individuals. Because remember, when this guy bows, when he went into the synagogue, he yelled, you know, one, you know death to all the Jews, not Israelis, death to all the Jews. Um, so I think it really sort of underscores that whether it's anti-Semitism from the left, from the right, uh, from the Muslim community, from the Christian society, or anywhere else it might be, we need to be equally vigilant in whatever manifestation it, uh, it comes. At a vigil that took place led by leaders of the Women's March, three of whom leaders openly embraced notorious anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan that you just brought up, mm-hmm tried to lead the resistance in opposition to President Donald Trump in the wake of the Pennsylvania synagogue shooting Sunday, holding a vigil outside the White House to protest anti-Semitism. That quote comes from an article that was published in the Daily Wire two days ago. Sarsour, or rather the, uh, the Women's March, was quoted as tweeting, Today we turned our grief to action with Jewish action to send a clear message to those with anti-Semitic and xenophobic attacks can never happen again. How is it possible that an organization which has an Islamist slant empower change, co-founded by Linda Sarsour, herself a notorious anti-Semite, can get credit in the media for raising $150,000 to cover the cost of funerals and then take credit for being vigilant in the wake of American anti-Semitism. It's as if though they'll only wait to celebrate dead Jews instead of going so far as to say that they will openly stand against anti-Semitism when they still are alive, breathing, and thriving in their own community. How do you see this uh, juxtaposition between them trying to raise the cost for the funerals of those slaughtered by an anti-Semite when out in the open and in public they're supporting anti-Semitism? I mean, look, I think the less said about, in many ways, the less said about Linda Sarsour, the better. But uh, then on the other hand, you know, when you ask uh, why is she allowed to get away with this, uh, with this, you know, two-faced charade of, on the one hand, saying I stand with Jews, and on the other hand, denying Jews equal rights, standing with people like Louis Farrakhan and so on and so forth, and supporting uh, quite explicitly even uh, Palestinian uh, terrorists in their actions against us. Um, You also have to ask, you know, how does she get away with it? And I think in many ways, I think within the Jewish community, it's uh, very well known, uh, her positions, her stances, um, but I think we need to get a, perhaps a better message out, uh, outside the Jewish community into mainstream uh, groups and societies, including those who stand with, uh, with her, with her organization and with others in terms of the damage they um, they cause and create. Um, I know for a fact in Australia recently, one of her co-organizers was uh, meant to speak um, uh, but at the end, uh, her visit was uh, denied or rejected, primarily because they, uh, you know, they they got the appropriate information, saying that you know this is not a person of peace. This is someone that's divisive. This is someone that's promoting bigotry and hatred. The exact opposite of what you know you're trying to um, bring um, through unity and uh, tolerance and social cohesion. So I think we really need to do a much better job of uh, exposing. Uh, 
people like Linda, because she's not the only one, let's face it, um, and those who associate uh, with her and with her organization to know exactly when they stand with her, exactly, uh, you know, the the bigotry and the hatred and the violent anti-Semitism that, you know, they stand with when they support her. We can spend a lot of time mourning those who were lost in Pittsburgh, but we raised some pretty vital issues, I think, so far in this conversation. Number one, anti-Semitism doesn't have any, um, uh, you know, uh, rose-colored glasses when it comes to the kind of Jews that they're willing to go after. So long as your last name's Rosenthal or Goldberg or you're wearing a yarmulke or you're entering into a synagogue or even if you're a friend of the Jewish community, you're likely to be held liable by these haters just like any other individual who may be having any other Jewish inclinations. The second thing that we realize is is that those who claim to support the Jewish community in their time of need are also attacking or associating themselves with anti-Semites when the situation is clear and they find a political opportunity to do either. One of the things that we haven't covered, though, is what does Israel, what do other communities in the Jewish diaspora do after an attack? What is the best thing to do where Pittsburgh can pull itself up by its britches just based on the model of what happened in Mumbai or after any other terror attack in Israel? How does the community move on? Uh, look, there's uh, there's going to be a lot of healing. You know, I, I believe not all, correct me if I'm wrong, I think not all the funerals have been held yet. Um, or they're definitely or have just been completed. So I think at this stage there's a lot a lot of healing happening. There's a lot of answers that need to be found. Um, I believe Bowers is meant to be in court shortly as well. So we will find out more exactly about you know what he did, why he did. Oh, of course, though we have a very good indication already through his uh, actions and existing um, words. Um, Look, I think there'll be a long period of healing. Uh, an attack like this is the, as I understand the gravest uh, attack on uh, the Jewish community in America's history, I think, as you uh, noted in your, in your own int- introduction. Um, so there'll be a lot of healing. There'll be communities asking a lot of questions in terms of uh, do we have sufficient security um, about the, you know, that's an issue, especially if you want to compare with, uh, you know, with Europe. It's, uh, it's difficult to go to any Jewish community center or synagogue, for that matter, in Europe, that's not protected by heavily, heavily armed, uh, you know, SWAT-type uh, military policemen um, with multiple security checks. Um, I hope that is not the reality with which uh, the Jewish community in America will uh, have to live by now, but that's certainly a very real part of Jewish life in Europe at the moment, for better or worse, uh, but that is, a, that is a part of their life, whether it's schools, whether it's uh, synagogues or their version of JCCs. Um, there'll need to be a lot of questions asked, um, you know, relationships uh, with the government and with our political leadership, uh, people stoking, fan, uh, stoking uh, hatred, uh, what needs to happen, what actions can the government provide in terms of not just security, but in terms of... Um, working with Jewish communities and other groups within civil society to educate about racism, about the dangers of anti-Semitism. There's, you know, I would hope, you know, there's been some very, I think, as I said, very comforting um, um, news of uh, different faith groups uh, coming together to stand uh, with the Jewish community, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, But I hope that's not a one-term issue. I hope that's something that... um, continues because at the end of the day I think you know as we know what what starts with the Jews seldom ever ends with the Jews so I think it's also incumbent upon uh, 
all of us, especially those who are at the receiving end of uh, such hatred and bigotry, uh, the Jewish community being a primary one, uh, that we stand together with other um, other minorities as well as they should stand with us in terms of fighting this uh, this kind of hatred. Arsene Ostrovsky, thanks for joining us this morning. My pleasure, Greg. Thank you. Next, talking Afghanistan and Pakistan. Fascism was the danger to American interests in the early 20th century. Communism in the last half of that century. And in the 21st century, we find our new ideological enemy, Islamism. Islamist Watch argues that violence is not the only or even the best way to apply Islamist ideas in Western liberal democracies. Islamist Watch monitors and exposes the growing influence of non-violent radical Islamist groups in the West while empowering moderate Muslims. Radical Islam is the problem. Mainstream Islam is the solution. Read more at www.islamist-watchwatch.org or check us out on Twitter at IslamistWatch. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't seen your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed. And they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs. And it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Middle East Forum Century Radio here on WWDB 860 AM, Philadelphia Talk Radio. Ronald Sandy is our next guest, a former senior analyst with Dutch Military Intelligence, where he worked on issues regarding the former Soviet Union, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and also as an organized crime and terrorism specialist. He now is a private consultant with a... um, Background as a chief global jihad analyst for Kronos Advisory and is also the founder of Blue Water Intelligence, a research group based in the Netherlands. Ronald, welcome to the program. Yeah, good being here. It's, uh, it's nice to, uh, to talk about interesting subjects. And I hope that our, uh, our conversation is definitely interesting and then get some new uh, information for our audience to be able to listen to. First, I, uh, I'm going to go outside of our wheelhouse and ask you, how is the Netherlands responding to this attack uh, committed by this vicious anti-Semite in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What's the uh, reaction in Dutch media? <coughs> the, uh, the, the, sorry. Um, the overall reaction is, is one of shock, and especially the, uh, the, the Dutch community, is, uh, Jewish community, is, is, is very much uh, um, yeah, aware of threats, because uh, especially in, in, in Europe, uh, the threats are more serious than uh, until now in, in the U.S., and uh, there is some hard protection at synagogues for quite a long time, and uh, Jewish communities have their own uh, pro- protective units already uh, set up in Europe. So uh, everyone is really aware of, of, of the attacks and, uh, and, and possibility of attacks. 
Thanks, Ron. Can you explain a bit about your work at Blue Water Intelligence and what led you to co-found the organization? Well, Blue Water, well, basically, um, I, I'm actually uh, living living in the mountains of North Carolina, which uh, for, for quite some time. Um, the interesting thing for Blue Water is um, we were having a, a group of experts that were um, uh, working mainly on on their own, and we combined our our uh, yeah, uh, power together, and and we and we we sorted out that it w- was probably better to to cooperate together. And there was not really something like a boutique intelligence firm back in in the Netherlands. And with our specialty of uh, of, of many um, uh, counterterrorism experts, we thought we could uh, help out uh, in 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 the public and in the private sector. So you have not just the ability to look at what's going on overseas in terms of threats to your clients. But also there's a history of domestic terrorism in the Netherlands, especially that of the Islamist variety. I don't have to remind any of our listeners that Geert Wilders, the leader of the PVV, the Freedom Party, in the Netherlands is the subject of 24-7 security due to the fact that seven days a week he's facing threats from all different kinds of elements, both foreign and domestic. I also don't need to remind our listeners about the murder of Theo van Gogh by an Islamist. Some, uh, I think it's about 10 years now, maybe a little bit more. What are the threats that are facing the Netherlands right now, especially those of the Middle Eastern variety? Um, it's basically still the same threat. Right now we have uh, many returnees coming from uh, from Syria and from uh, from Iraq. And <clears throat> they're mainly the, the, the young variety of, of the, the ISIS fighters and the ISIS supporters. And, and 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 a few weeks ago, um, Dutch intelligence br- and police broke up uh, a new plot, actually. But in in this case, uh, that were <coughs> jihadis radicalized in jail in the Netherlands, and when they came out of jail, um, this group, still very close to Al Qaeda, by the way, uh, was was really getting close to uh, to setting off a big bomb at a big event in the Netherlands. Uh, so. The threat is substantial in the Netherlands. It's it's always there, and nothing has really changed since well 2004 when Van Gogh was being killed, and <clears throat> we we really see that uh, that um, authorities are vigilant in, in in trying to keep everything uh, under control. But it there only needs to be one spark and 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 one guy who comes through who. Uh, uses a knife, as happened in in in, in September in Amsterdam, and 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 uh, stabs uh, two Americans in in Central Station, and uh, some something can happen 24/7 all the time. Now, there's also those who are not just the watchmen, but those who are watching the watchmen. And I want to turn our attention to Cutter. In September of this year, it was reported that you were a victim of a Qatari-led cyber attack. What's your reaction to the Qataris trying to go after your, uh, you know, cyber elements and information? And what do you think their motivations behind the attack were? Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an open critic of, of Qatar. Um, <clears throat> not that I have anything about the, the Qatari people, but 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 the Qatari government is, uh, is 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 a main player in supporting Muslim Brotherhood, uh, even even jihadi factions in Africa, in Syria, in in in, in multiple countries. So the, the the Qataris try try always try to play it both ways, and, and we seem to let them get away with it in the West. Uh, so okay, they're they're our friends one way or another. But um, there, there there are some serious things that the Qataris um, are doing that are basically not to our benefit. And 
um, <clears throat> I'm I'm open about that and 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 uh, and I bring it out. So probably they see that as a as a as a, as a threat, and, and they probably um, try to try to get me uh, into there. Yeah, well, uh, as a former intelligence guy, um, you're prepared to to most of these things. But still, when you read it in the New York Times uh, without notice, yeah, then it is kind of like a shock. But oh, it really happened. Yeah. So you um you get hacked by the Qataris. We all know of their connections to Hamas, the hosting of uh, Yusuf Kardawi, the spiritual head of the Muslim Brotherhood, their relations with Iran, the fisticuffs they've entered into right now with the other Gulf states. What does the West do to stop malign Qatari actions and influence, especially against private citizens like yourself? Well, I'll, um, <clears throat> I, I think uh, our politicians are failing us. Uh, in Europe and 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 in the U.S. for now, um, the Qataris can can do whatever they want. Uh, it seems, and they have many people on their on the on the pay list. Um, they're spending billions and billions, so they are buying into in uh, in, in real estate uh, in, in 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 all the Western capitals. So they are uh, buying into soft power. They buy um, uh, soccer teams like uh, like Paris Saint Germain. Uh, and and now they're trying to get the uh, the, the the World Cup uh, soccer in, in in Qatar, and um, many many thousands of, uh, of of workers are being mistreated like slaves, and generally nobody is doing anything about it because Western companies are getting big contracts. Um, it's it's in the end all about the money, and we seem to be uh, living uh, living for money in the in in the West. So the Qataris are getting away with with most of it at this point. Unfortunately, we are not asking the Qataris to uh, to uh, yeah to to give up stuff. So um, the Qataris keep doing what they're doing, and they're playing both sides, and they're getting away with terrorism support, and they're getting away with uh, with Islamism support, and they're getting away with bribing. It's uh, it's what it is. We are failing. It's have our you, own Western fault. Have you thought of taking legal action against the Qataris? <clears throat> um, I'm 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 thinking about it. I'm 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 not there yet. So I I have to uh, see what is the uptick for me on this one and what really happened to me. So I'm I'm still in a in a situation of uh, um, weighing all the uh, all the information. But you, uh, you know, you're on the radio right now talking about their malign influence. Anything that they did do against you will not deter you from speaking out about the country, right? No, why would I? Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a basic ana- uh, analysis that I'm doing, and uh, what I'm seeing happening is, uh, is, is, is what I'm telling. Um, I always have been this way. Um, I will be this way. Yeah. So I want to share with you some information that actually our organization, the Middle East Forum, just was able to reveal this week. This is the first time that we're talking about this on the radio, and it, and it hasn't been in writing yet. But are you familiar with the case of Elliot Broidy and the hack against him and some of his associates here in the United States? I believe it was in that same New York Times article. Yeah, yeah, I know about that. So this is uh, this is in a forthcoming article that will be on the Hill either today or tomorrow, the um the newspaper that covers Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. According to Foreign Agent Registration Act filings and a court deposition in this Brody case with one Joey Alaham, one of Qatar's agents and on the payroll here in terms of uh, spreading Qatari influence in the United States, a bill, House Resolution 2712, that's a, uh, a legislative proposal in the U.S. Congress, 
otherwise known as the Palestinian Terrorism International Support Prevention Act, was the target of this Qatari influence campaign. If successfully passed, this legislation would have required the U.S. government to label Qatar as a state sponsor of terrorism due to its hosting of Hamas and other terror organizations. So this bill was introduced in May of 2017 and makes it through the House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee with a unanimous vote of Republicans and Democrats, and then it dies. Nothing happens with it. And that only happens after trips of American pro-Israel community officials visited Doha and Qatar, some of these organizations and some of these individuals, including Alan Dershowitz, a prominent human rights attorney and criminal defense attorney in the United States, according to the Alaham deposition, signed contracts with the Qatari government by way of Alaham. Or they signed contracts with Alaham who was being paid by the Qatari government, to be more clear on that. I want to make sure I'm not risking a, uh, a libel, slander, defamation lawsuit against myself by saying this. After those American Jewish community leaders came back to Qatar, uh, from Qatar to the United States, the same lobbyists who sent them there started meeting with members of Congress and circulating a memo saying that the legislation proposed by the House was a threat to the Qatari-U.S. relationship, even though the Qataris were still hosting Hamas, still hosting the Muslim Brotherhood, still coddling Iran. And now we have an indicator of a specific action according to court documents and according to government filings with the Justice Department about what's going on. So I just wanted to share that with you to, to say that we understand what the Qataris are capable of doing. But at the same time, when you have sunlight, you know, I think it's also the best disinfectant, especially from the toxic virus that Qatar presents to Western liberal democracies. Are you familiar with any other investigation in the Netherlands? that you can maybe speak about that can attribute any, um, you know, intelligence services looking into what the Qataris are doing in Europe? <coughs> what, what, what I really know is that there seems to be an, a, a big investigation into Qatar going on in France, uh, where, where former President Sarkozy seems to be very much in line with the, with the Qataris. And um, <clears throat> there, there, there are a lot of things going on there, and there is uh, some some investigation into what the Qataris are doing in in uh, in, in the UK, as far as I know. Um, so that there is certainly uh, more getting more awareness, but um, it, it as as the Qataris play it, it's always uh, going for soft power. Um, so they 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 um focus on 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 muslim communities especially on on enlarging the influence of the muslim brotherhood in the net in in the netherlands and in europe and we really see that the qataris are also very much uh focusing on on supporting in new salafist centers well we know salafism is the incubator for 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 many uh people going to uh to syria to fight and become isis fighters so um, there, there is, there is a kind of like more awareness, but but it, it seems that um, Qatari money is 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 uh, is very effective in in keeping away um, investigations. But as I heard, is that there seems to be a, a very big criminal investigation ongoing in France right now uh, against all kinds of uh, Qatari meddling, Qatari bribing. And this seems to be involving uh, former President Sarkozy. That's uh, good news to know that on the other side of the Atlantic, a uh, civil investigation here in the United States has its parallel criminal investigation in France. And even beyond that, one would only hope that the FBI, the National Counterintelligence Executive, 
and other federal authorities in this country would be looking into Qatar's influence activities, especially those that go beyond the law. I'd like to pivot to another area of expertise that you have spent decades focusing on, and that is the NATO and American presence in Afghanistan. What's the exit strategy for Western forces from that country, if there's any? I, I think there is no. Um, um, the, w- w- one, one of the many problems in Afghanistan is that um, as, as long as you are there, you will have opposition. Uh, as soon as you uh, are gone, uh, Afghanistan returns to what it really was before. Um, that, that, that's quite interesting, uh, but, but it seems to be that the Afghans are still dealing in, in the same way uh, with, with, with uh, how, how they are doing it for hundreds of years. So uh, I do not really see, see a, a good exit strategy for, uh, for, 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 for the Europeans, for NATO. Um, but then there, there are also some of the uh, of, of the NATO partners who basically say, okay, we came to Afghanistan, we will never leave because we see an uptick for us having a presence in Afghanistan uh, because of everything that's happening behind Afghanistan in China, in 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 in, in India. So uh, there are certain uh, strategic. Um, uh, reason behind some of the uh, of the NATO alliance uh, countries the, to be in Afghanistan. So, if, if they really want to get out, I don't know. Um, it, it, it seems that some still have the feeling that it is worth staying in Afghanistan. Now, there's this alliance that's taking place between the Russians and the Iranians, and a new deal that was signed in terms of the bifurcation of the Caspian Sea, according to oil rights. You have Russians trying to get contracts in northern Afghanistan now working with their former enemies they were fighting 30 years ago during the uh, the last uh, elements of the Mujahideen fighting against the Soviet occupation there. If there's a way for Afghanistan to move forward, even if the West you know does uh, stay there, how does it go in being able to split its uh, uh, you know tides of influence between the former FSU countries, Iran on one side, Pakistan on the other side, India trying to get inroads there? I mean, if you're a NATO commander and you're looking at economic peace as a way to try to ameliorate some of the Taliban's concerns, is there a way to deal with them? Well, um, well, we uh, we have not really been able to 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 deal with them for the uh, for, for for the last fifteen twenty years. So um, I don't I don't I don't see a, a way for for anyone to really deal with the Taliban um, as, as they're highly xenophobe. So um, um, they, even Pakistanis have a difficult time dealing with them. So um, and, and they're in the end they seem to be quite often the the, the same tribes. So it, it it it's so highly tribal that it is is almost impossible to 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 deal with the uh, <clears throat> with the Taliban and and on the other hand um, yeah there, there there are so many many games being played in Afghanistan that it is uh, unfortunately still still the Afghan people who are the uh, who are the victims of of everything that's going on in their own country because they don't really have a, well a future. So we um, just to finish up, we've got about two minutes left here. If we can identify some politicians in Europe, in the Netherlands, who uh, get it, let's put that in quotation marks, about the threat of Islamist influence, Qatari influence, the threat that the Taliban poses, and you, you were to recommend three or four people that we should be following, either in Dutch politics or in European politics, that our listeners can get more information on, who would you recommend? 
Oh, unfortunately, one of the guys who gets it, um, uh, unfortunately, because I, I, I think he's sometimes a little bit too much polarizing, but, but I think certainly uh, Geert Wilders uh, understands it. Uh, we have a, we have another guy in the Netherlands, Cherry Baudet, uh, who also really gets this. And then there there are certain, yeah, um, I, I would say, British politicians generally they get it, but they are not really willing to take actions for 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 multiple reasons. Um, and and I think that the French Foreign Minister uh, Jean-Yves Le Drian uh, definitely gets it. He knows about uh, about the Qatari threat, and he has been very focal in in in, in, in to the Qataris themselves when they. Uh, were involved in, in kidnappings of French uh, citizens in, uh, in in Cameroon a few years ago, which was being funded by the Qataris in the end. Wow. Well, Ron, thanks for joining us this morning. Can you tell us how to get you on Twitter and your website? Uh, it's rsandy70 at Twitter. And, and generally, generally uh, our website is www.blue-water-intelligence.com. Ronald Sandy, the founder of Blue Water Intelligence. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Next, 212. The Israel Victory Project steers U.S. policy toward backing an Israel victory over the Palestinians to resolve the Arab-Israeli conflict. Decades of what insiders call peace processing have left matters worse than where they started. The time has come for a new approach, a complete rethinking of the problem that draws on Israel's earlier and successful strategy of deterrence. Stop pressuring Jerusalem to compromise and make painful concessions. Instead, support Israeli victory, convincing Palestinians and others that the Jewish state will endure. Read more at meforum.org. Introducing the YMCA. What, you already know the Y? Or so you think. Sure, you know the Y for a swim, a workout, even a game of hoops. But did you know we're more than that? We're a cause. When you take your jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Take a cardio class while kids are in an after-school enrichment program. Practice your downward-facing dog as a teen practices her leadership skills. That's the why. We work with people no matter their age, income, or background and give them the opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive, all with one simple goal in mind, to strengthen our community. And we've got so much more that does just that so while you might think of the why as that place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. Introducing the why. We're so much more than a place. We're a cause. Visit ymca.net slash more. Welcome back to Middle East Forum Century Radio here on WWDB 860 AM Talk Radio Philadelphia. A few news stories uh, are coming out right now. Fresh not to say that we don't want to focus on what happened in Pittsburgh or some of the stories that are emanating about Qatar and, and uh, Afghanistan, but a European country is calling for the reimposition of sanctions on Iran. Might we see a break in the block here, Matt, between the Dutch, the Danish, and the rest of the Europeans who are trying to act as a united front in the wake of the um, uh, Qatari, uh, not Qatari, the Iranian uh, influence or the European play to try to alleviate? Iranian sanctions. Why don't you tell us what was covered in The Guardian on October 30th? Sure, Greg. In, um, it certainly seems that way. Denmark has recalled its ambassador from Tehran and called for fresh EU sanctions 
against Iran after its security services accused Iranian intelligence services of plotting an assassination on Danish soil. It was just it was just a few months ago that we heard that there was an Iranian plot emanating from Austria, taking place in Germany, uh, meant to be effectuated, I think it was in Belgium or France, to blow up a main Iranian opposition rally of the MEK, of the Mujahideen al-Haq. Now, I understand that there's been an extradition that took place. There was a Norwegian national of Iranian background that was arrested in Sweden. It seems like the Iranians are really going all out in terms of returning to their behavior of the 80s and 90s of carrying out political assassinations, bombings, so on and so forth. But it seems like the Europeans aren't putting it up with this time. What do you think about that? I think it's a good sign. Finally, the international community has somewhat of a united front against Iran, uh, depending on how serious President Trump gets with it. It could be a turning point, but I think there needs to be more global support and acknowledgement of exactly what's happening. How long do you think, Greg, the international community is really going to tolerate this until the point where it says no more? I mean, for most of the month of October, we were focused on the Khashoggi affair, right? The uh, murder Mm -hmm. of the Saudi journalist that was in the uh, Saudi consulate in Istanbul. But in the last month that's passed by, there has been tons of Middle East news that has come out. And all of a sudden, it takes another gruesome attack to turn the media's attention to what's going on in the United States. All while the long while, you have the Iranians, the Qataris, the Turks, who are all trying to use global events to their advantage. We even had, and I find this disgusting, Hamas condemned the synagogue attack, saying that they didn't support attacks against Jews in the diaspora. But they're just fine attacking Jews in Israel. I mean... You know, whether it's Sarsour that we talked about today, whether it's the example of the uh, Qatari hacks against one of our guests by Mr. Uh, Ronald Sandy, whether it's the, the reaction and the, and the two-faced diplomacy of countries, which are on one hand condemning, on the other hand supporting, there really has to be more focus from this country, from this presidency, and from this Congress here in the United States on who are our friends and who are our enemies. It's kind of like you know Bush said at the after the end of uh, of uh, the 9/11 attacks. I think in a congressional address that he gave, maybe it was two or three days after. You're either with us or you're against us, and you may not be a terrorist, but if you're a state that supports terrorism, you're just as bad and will treat you the same. Now, there's also some other news which is coming out of Syria, where they um, have been having this peace talks that have been taking place it's called the Astana talks, whether it was between the Turks and the Russians in uh, Sochi in Russia, or the Iranians and the Turks and the Russians in Astana and in Kazakhstan, or whether it was in uh, you know different rounds of diplomacy. Of course, nothing is involving the United States when it comes to these actors, considering that they're all at odds with U.S. policy east of the Euphrates River. Can you tell us what's going on right now between the Syrian government and, and they're falling out with Turkey? Yeah, so right now they are accusing Turkey of failing to meet the obligations that were set out in agreement with Russia to create a demilitarized zone free of jihadists in the northwest. Ankara has rejected the accusations. But the agreement forged in September between Russia, President Bashar al-Assad's most powerful ally in Turkey, which backs the rebels, staved off major government offensive into the opposition-held Idlib region. Russian President Vladimir Putin said that Ankara was fulfilling its obligations in Idlib. Syrian Foreign Minister Walid al-Mulahem said in comments reported late on Monday that Turkey appeared unwilling to implement the deal. So you have Vladimir Putin going to bat for Recep Tayyip Erdogan 
And then Walid al-Mu'alim, that's how you say it, the probably not Mu'alim, Mu'alim, the Syrian foreign minister, quoted as saying in a France 24 article, the terrorists still exist there with their heavy arms in this region. This is an indicator of Turkey's unwillingness to fulfill its obligations. We said this a few weeks ago on the program, that what we're looking at right now is the Turks trying to carve out their area of influence in uh, Syria, whether it be the north west region of the Sunni majority Idlib province, the cantons of Afrin, which is a Kurdish majority area, which is historically um, the Turkish government has, has a claim to with a shrine being there, and the Turks also going up against the Americans across the Euphrates all the way to the Iraqi border, because that's an area that they want to control due to the Kurdish population that's there. Now, I think what we're seeing here is the Turks and the American, excuse me, the Turks and the Russians lining up against the American area. Uh, of, of, of American-occupied and Kurdish-controlled Syria. And the Syrians, they've basically been left for them to be able to rebuild. And we'll, we'll see how that plays out. 30 seconds on final thoughts. Whether you're Al Jazeera and you're promoting anti-Semitism on the airwaves, or whether you are Robert Bowers and you're committing atrocious attacks in synagogues, anti-Semitism is anti-Semitism. The attacks that happened in Pittsburgh were not the president's fault. They were the fault of extremists who have been targeting Jewish populations around the world for the past 3,000 years. And until Western governments and Jewish communities themselves get serious, not just in defending against anti-Semitism, but taking the attack to the anti-Semites, will we see a change in the way in which Jewish communities can be secure. There's no need for a fortress mentality when you're going on the attack. This is Greg Roman on Middle East Forum Century Radio, WWDB 860 AM, Philadelphia, reporting live from the city line. Thanks to Delaney Janchek, Lisa Barbunas, Matt Bennett here, our co-guests, and all of the guests that joined us today. We'll talk to you next week. Signing off.